Welcome to the In The Clouds podcast. In The Clouds is a marketing cloud podcast powered by Lev, the most influential marketing-focused Salesforce consultancy in the world. Lev is customer experience obsessed, and podcast hosts Bobby Tishy and Cole Fisher have partnered with some of the world's most well-known brands to help them master meaningful one-on-one connections with their customers. In this podcast, they'll combine strategy and deep technical expertise to share best practices, how-tos, and real-life use cases and solutions for the world's top brands using Salesforce products today. I wish there was a video component to this podcast because, (laughs) Cole, your mustache is, for anybody listening, uh, specifically, before we get started, I should say, I would like to give a huge shout out to my mother-in-law who knows nothing about Salesforce Marketing Cloud and a week and a half ago wrote me and asked me why I've never given her a shout out on the podcast because apparently she listens to the podcast. <laughs> she also told us that we were way too harsh on Nick during our last podcast. No, that's that's debatable. I think if she met Nick, she would understand why we're so hard on him. I think if she met his uber supportive family, he'd realize that like we have to take him down a peg or two. Oh, definitely. Basically our duty now. <laughs> well, today is a very exciting episode because uh, we've got a special guest on. Well, I'll let him introduce himself here shortly, um, but someone who we've worked with for a little while. And um, as, as we've gotten to know him and understand his marketing technology stack, we've really appreciated a lot of the different elements that they've implemented and brought together. So Kevin, if you wouldn't mind doing a brief introduction of yourself, uh, we'll jump in from there. Sure. Uh, so I'm Kevin Cushiel. I'm uh, Vice President of Marketing Technology and Marketing Science uh, for Fox Corporation. Marketing Science, what does that mean? Um, we realized that in addition to the marketing technology stack, um, that there's some heavy analytics that needed to happen on that backend data. And so what we've done is partnered with our data science team. Um, and we've, we have a set of analysts or group of analysts um, who do sort of this specialized uh, tuning. Um, I can talk about it a little bit more in, in detail as well, but um, things like predictive analytics in terms of engagement, that then feed back into Salesforce Marketing Cloud. Um, so really a group, it's sort of a hybrid between data analysis and data science that connects directly to marketing data. This isn't something we talked about ahead of time, but something that Cole and I have been talking about quite a bit. Do you, so you guys have a data science team internally at Fox. Do you also leverage any kind of technology to kind of experiment against your own data scientists? Um, we haven't really. I mean, we've really been developing the models right now. Um, mm-hmm. I think we've gotten to a good place with, with some of those models. We haven't really implemented additional technology other than, you know, some of the Einstein stuff that comes out of the box. That's what I'm always curious of is, you know, you'll hear um, different companies, specifically Salesforce, talk about the Einstein capabilities, which I think for what they are, great. But at the same time, if you've got your own data science team that's focused on your subscribers, your customers, the groups that you're going after and the specific goals and objectives, this can be a lot better than any kind of agnostic technology that a platform might provide. Yeah, totally agreed. I think when it comes to like this predictive modeling, it's specific to our data. Um, however, I think there's things like send time optimization, SFMC, that's, you know, it's, it's really good for what it is, right? We don't necessarily need to reinvent the wheel with that internally. So we use a little bit of a hybrid in that, in that scenario. I like that approach too. I always kind of tell customers that, uh, uh, we love having the out-of-box Einstein features, 
But if you have the capability, the bandwidth, the teams, the resources around something like that, it's always good to augment that or, or you know, come up with models that may either complement or oppose or even propose new ideas. Uh, because, yeah, to your point, like syntime optimization, for example, is great to have. And, you know, most most ESPs or, or you know, companies aren't even using that right out of the box. And so just having that in place is a great first step. What you might find is, you know, depending on your your business or your cycles or things like that, 90 days may not be the, the window that you need, which is what Einstein uses. You may need something, you know, different or other inputs. And so I like the idea of kind of, you know, marrying um, out of the box features with or, or technology with whatever we have internally with data science and constantly growing and progressing those models. Yeah, yeah, totally agreed. I think um, we see that especially with certain seasonality uh, with some of our news product when you have election cycles, it's once every two to four years. Right, you're going to see these cycles, and so they really have to retrain those models based off kind of historical data that's not just 90 days, things like that. So, absolutely agree with you. Well, especially for you guys with so many so many different products and services that you're providing, I'm sure a lot of that modeling changes based on the channel or the property that you might be trying to increase engagement on or promote at that at that particular point in time. What, what's been your overall strategy for building? your MarTech stack? Yeah, I think we really had um, three main focus areas. Uh, the first is we, we had to be omni-channel, right? We have to do email, push in-app, paid social, ad server integration, all of that needs to, to be coordinated. We need the ability to do that. I think the second piece for us was we wanted to build an uh, in-house team of experts. Um, so, you know, while we did deployment and we certainly, uh, we, we partner with Lev, um, you know, and consultants uh, from time to time on kind of jump-starting certain special projects. We make sure that knowledge transfer takes place to the internal team. Um, we've actually gotten, a, we actually have a former Lev person on one of my teams right now. Um, so that's always fun to talk about. Um, but that was the other piece. I think that the, th the last piece is the raw data and being available in, in um, our data mark for the marketing science team and then data science team to start to leverage and then pipe back into the platform. So those are kind of the three main components we focused on as we thought about our stack. Just a, a follow-up to that on that first point, talking about the omni-channel piece of it and the orchestration, what, what tool do you guys use if you can share um, to leverage or to actually build out the orchestration? Yeah, so we're using Journey Builder pretty heavily uh, in that regard. Um, so everything from uh, onboarding journeys has gotten more and more sophisticated uh, with some A-B testing for like things like Fox Nation um, to now, you know, so even our predictive analytics that we're doing now, we're predicting user engagement uh, based off of their activity, but we're building out different, um, different experiences for those users based off of what type of next best action we want them to take, whether that's download an app, um, get another video start in some type, of, uh, some type of new series, what have you. So let me, first off, let me uh, just find out how, how long have you been in this role at Fox? Uh, so I joined when we started New Fox a few years ago. Um, obviously I've been with Fox uh, about 10 years now, um, doing e-commerce, marketing technology and other divisions, but the current role has been about three years, I think right now. Okay. So I'm, I'm curious as to see like what you've seen change over the, over the past, especially with your MarTech strategy and kind of thinking, especially lately with sort of this big shift of third to first party data. So how has that kind of had an impact for you guys? Yeah, I mean, um, 
the first party data has become obviously a much bigger thing over the last couple of years, uh, trying to solve for the third party cookies going away. I think um, we've kind of gone from an approach where we're reacting to RFPs, you know, really in, in the old days, um, uh, especially when it comes to the ad sales side of things, we're reacting to RFPs from, from, our, um, from our customers and just simply trying to say, okay, what data can we get and how can we prove the, the value of that data or the, the reliability of that data from a third party vendor? Um, now, I think we've learned that we need to stay ahead of the curve, right? And so we really took, uh, took some time and, and really invested over the last couple of years to kind of go state of the art um, with our DMP, CDP, CRM, all of that stuff together. Um, so, you know, now we are trying to keep our eye. We're doing, we're piloting things like Google Flock, even though that's not a thing anymore. <laughs> we were piloting that in their, uh, in their origin. Uh, we've started to pilot some of the stuff where we look at, look at topics and understand how Google Topics is going to affect the ad ecosystem, how we can blend that with our first party data. So we're starting to um, look at some of those things. So really trying to stay ahead of the game as much as we can there with, with both the strategy as well as the technology. Do you have a team that focuses on experimentation, whether it's in, in new features or within that data science group? Uh, yes. Um, so we're, we're looking at a lot of that stuff. Um, personalization and recommendation is really a big focus for us in this upcoming year. Uh, we've deployed you know, a single arm bandit model um, on, on a couple of properties now. We're working on making that a multi-arm multi bandit, meaning um, multiple things taking into account like time of day, um, users, historical behavior, et cetera. And so really trying to build that into our products. That obviously takes some time because we need to tag it with data, right? We need all the right data points mm -hmm. coming out of here. And so the team's really been putting a lot of work in with our product team uh, to make sure that we have all the right data coming out into our platform so our models have the right signals in order to make the right decisions. So that'll be a focus area in the next in the next year. Within that uh, experimentation team, like you mentioned, you know, Google Flock or Google Topics are kind of rolling out, starting to test certain things or even just start to um, learn certain new elements that come out, whether that be around first or third party data, or it could be, you know, a new CDP or something like that. Do you guys have a team or a, a team member that focuses on keeping their eye on what's happening within the MarTech ecosystem and then aligning what maybe what we should be looking at or, cause it, the, the way I've, I've heard about it from other, other companies, your size, they'll have what are called like innovation sprints, something like that, where they'll take a, a particular tool and they'll spend two weeks evaluating it. How could it apply to our business? Does it have business value? That sort of thing. Yep. Yeah, we've recently, well, not recently, about a year ago, we moved to a scaled agile framework or safe. Um, and so at the end of each three, three month increment, we actually reserved two weeks for innovation and planning. Uh, the first week is really that, that innovation piece that you're talking about there, where we're working with our vendors um, to kind of look at the ecosystem, see what's next, see what we can pilot. And then the second week, of course, is, you know, spent a lot of planning for the upcoming program increment, but, but that's how we've kind of addressed it. So it's not necessarily one, one person, um, but kind of as a group, we come together, from, we have an architecture group, we come together and talk about the different things and, and what we want to test and leverage during that innovation phase. I think that's such a big thing. And Cole, we talked to so many different clients who are not doing anything like that. It's really just focusing on what's, you know, whack-a-mole, right? What's the, what's the next priority based on what people internally are, are wanting. And I think a lot of times, and I'm sure Kevin, you've seen this too, is marketing folks typically have a really hard time aligning to some kind of a methodology or framework um, where, you know, there's a lot of, within marketing, there's a lot of creativity, there's a lot of content people, there's typically a lot of 
folks who focus on the humanized element of marketing, which is certainly important, but not on the development side of marketing, which is it's always that ongoing battle of who owns the technology? Is it marketing or is it IT? Is it its own function? So it's really interesting to hear that you guys have a specific, you know, two week sprint essentially at the end of those, at the end of those three month increments just for innovation and planning, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's been really great. We've put a lot of focus on, on personal development training also for our teams um, to make sure that they're upskilled and up to speed on all that, the, the latest stuff. And so I think for years, we had exactly what you described. We're kind of like uh, chasing the mail truck. Um, what, what's the next thing? Where do, we, where do we get? And we kind of made a decision a couple of years ago, this needs to be a priority. Um, and we needed to get ahead of that. It was really in partnership with our ad tech team as well um, to make sure that we were, we're on the, the leading edge. Um, otherwise, you know, if we're not there, we're, we're simply subject to everyone else's uh, movements in the marketplace, which is not where we wanted to be. Do you have a current favorite MarTech tool, whether it's in your stack or outside of it? Um, I don't know if there's one in particular. I mean, I, I we've deployed a OnePlus X as our data management platform. Uh, I really like getting in there just because it has some really cool artificial intelligence machine learning. Um, you know, we've mapped all of our, our, they've automatically mapped all of our stuff to our IB taxonomies. So we can actually kind of get some really interesting views in terms of people's affinity um, within our different platforms there. But um, I would say Journey Builder is probably a really close second. I, you know, it's, it's a great visual. Um, it's great to kind of sit and iterate with the marketing teams and kind of talk about what if and A-B testing and, and times and, and all of the other stuff. And so I would say kind of a tie between those two. And I'll just point out that we did not pay Kevin to say that just because it's a Salesforce tool, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> Although we did pay Kevin handsomely to be part of this podcast. Yeah, most of our budget, <laughs> which is zero. So. <laughs> um, so Bobby and I have talked about this before and, and you know, we've even um, approached the subject in, in other podcasts before, but in your current tech stack, you have multiple CDPs. Can you kind of dig into... A, why have multiple CDPs? And then B, like what different functions those serve? Yeah, I think you gotta always step back and, and define what is a CDP, right? Because it's, it's such a broad right. thing. I think uh, so many companies sitting on a lot of data, you know, said, oh, well, we're close to this. We should be a CDP. And others are more purpose-built, I think, um, in, in that regard. Um, so yeah, we have um, Telium, we have uh, Segment, uh, we have um, Lytics, all as CDPs in our platform but we're really focused on the, the strength for each one. Um, Segment is really an amazing data orchestration tool, right? It has some really advanced features in terms of even some live data transformation, um, schema enforcement. So really that collection from all of our platforms, it, it's a really great tool for that. Um, but when it comes to data collection around the user, um, and we want to ask them explicit questions and surveys and polls and quizzes, um, it, may, it wasn't uh, the ideal tool for that. Um, we use Telium for tag management. It's an amazing tag management platform. It's very scalable. Um, we get in there and, and use, you know, all of our pixels are, are fired from in there in a privacy compliant way. So that's really an amazing tool on that side. And we went with Lytics um, as our main, what I'd call CDP, uh, basically because it's out of box functionality. It allowed us to very quickly deploy widgets across websites for data collection, whether that's an email address or um, a survey or a quiz. Um, you know, those are all kind of really easy experiences to get out the box really quickly. And it gives a lot of power to marketing teams where they aren't relying on dev teams to deploy code. Um, so that's kind of the, the direction that we've gone. 
it's really interesting. And one of the uh, one of the main reasons why I wanted to have you on the podcast was around the CDP topic. And um, because there are, I, I think there's so much confusion, you know, it's kind of like what marketing automation was probably 10 or 12 years ago, where it's still a, ver- a fairly uh, immature um, ec- ecosystem at this point. There's a lot of different players. There's a lot of now what we would typically think of as marketing clouds saying that they have a CDP. There's a lot of immature CDPs out there. And I, I think too, I, I saw an infographic from Simon Data around there were four different pillars of what CDPs could potentially be. And so I think going back to your first point is really, you've got to start by defining what your business goals or objectives are by, by purchasing this piece of software. You know, to your point around like data orchestration and being a huge fan of how Segment does that or user data collection with analytics, it's really important to kind of identify First, like everybody should before they buy any piece of software, what is the business value or the business objective that I'm trying to accomplish with this piece of software, with this purchase? And then and then going from there. You have already mentioned it a couple of times with Journey Builder. And obviously we're big fans of Salesforce Marketing Cloud, but what's your favorite thing about Salesforce Marketing Cloud? I mean, definitely Journey Builder. I mean, hands down, that's, that's just a great product that we've really leveraged a lot of. Um, work with my team and the agency to kind of craft those journeys. And I think we've seen some real legitimate business value in terms of user retention and onboarding and things like that, just kind of making the user experience um, uh, much more seamless. So definitely that's that's my favorite. Um, because I do like things like send time optimization, like it gives us a very quick, quick hit, some of those Einstein features, a quick way of getting something up and running uh, that maybe we don't want to build in-house. So that that makes it that makes it very easy there. I would say those are kind of the, my two favorite pieces. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, kind of along that line, one of the best things is the longer you have it, the more of those like additional features and things like that get rolled out, like, you know, additional or enhancements to Einstein features, things like that. Um, but I, I think uh, to kind of counter that and to show that we're not like being paid or, or just here to pump Salesforce's tires, um, what would you say that you wish Marketing Cloud could do better? And, you know, uh, specifically, what are you doing to address that right now? Yeah, we're a little bit unique in that we have a lot of business units. Um, you know, Fox, in addition to all the brands you probably know, we have Fox Sports, Entertainment, News, 17 TV stations. Um, you know, we've got TMZ recently acquired. So we've got a lot of different, you know, Big Ten networks. Uh, we actually have 33 or 34 different business units set up within our platform, which I think is not typical of most of your deployments. Um, so certainly we're working with Salesforce to try to get the rollout of those BUs, you know, uh, to go faster. You know, this is definitely a process of requesting the different products, getting IP addresses set up, things like that. And uh, that's always, it's definitely a challenge we need to make sure we plan ahead for right now. Um, so that's the the one thing. The, the one wish list item that I've expressed to Salesforce too that I think we really need is, is a desktop push within the mobile studio product. Um, so we aren't able to really leverage that. So we're leveraging localytics today because we need to uh, be able to do desktop in addition to mobile and in-app. And it doesn't necessarily make sense to have all those pushes in, in three different, two or three different tools. And so that's the other challenge that I think um, I've, I've kind of put to Salesforce. Well, you're, you're telling the right place because Mark Benioff doesn't listen to any other podcasts except for this one. So I think that should be in the spring release. I mean, that might, you know, should we guarantee it? Uh, I, I would say it's pretty much a done deal. In fact, I think, yeah. I think I just heard it being worked on right now. Awesome. 
Awesome. I should come Cole. here more often. <laughs> Cole, Cole's got a lot of pull. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> so within that MarTech stack that you guys currently have, what's on deck to be implemented for you guys this year? Uh, we've got more more business units coming on board. Uh, Big Ten Network uh, with their subscription product is going to be coming on board. Um, we're trying to do deeper integration with some of our other um, acquisitions like TMZ, Outkick. Uh, we're in talks with the TV folks who are absolutely amazing, really smart people um, on, on trying to unify more of the ad audience there. Um, and we're going to do some additional CDP integration. So uh, rolling that out to the 17 um, Fox TV stations. Uh, that we own and operate across the country. So uh, a lot of work for the team the next, next 12 months. That sounds like it. Um, so let me just ask you this. If it weren't, you know, budget weren't a consideration, time to value, implementation, none of that was, was consideration. What would be the wish list item that you would implement if you could right now? Um, definitely more automation of our, our models. I would speed up our recommendation, personalization recommendation stuff. Um, we've built some really amazing models. The team's currently um, built a uh, you know, predictive engagement based off of things like, uh, what devices have you installed on? Have you installed it on web only? Or are you also on living room or mobile? What type of content are you acting with? Are you interacting with some of our daily shows? Are you interacting with movies? Are you doing um, deep uh, video on demand series engagement? And binging, so we've got these models that are actually predicting people's engagement over the next um, next two months. And so what we can do is actually tell whether or not a cohort or an individual is healthy or unhealthy, and then we can actually send the signal into SMC as to you know what that the reason for that, and then they'll build the journeys. And uh, we're trying to automate as fast as we can. Uh, we're in process, but automating that stuff uh, always takes a little bit of time. You know, obviously cleansing the data, make sure it's the right way, so that the, um, um, we can adjust it in the Salesforce Marketing Cloud. So I, I yeah, feel like that's such, a, that's such like a rabbit hole topic too, where it's like, even if you could like automate fast enough, you're like, there's always more and more and more that can be done. It's kind of like just marketing in general. It's like, if I could have more inputs to the model, more models themselves, more variations of the models, more different types of sub-segments to, you know, uh, of behavioral inputs to account for here, faster time to market with. I feel like it's just one of those things like constantly evolving. But yeah, like I, I find myself kind of just like falling deep into that rabbit hole, just like constantly, like how cool could this be if we could get X, Y, and Z faster, sooner, more of it, whatever it is. So I, I, I feel your pain, but I mean, I'll, I'll try to just avoid going down that spiral for right now. Yeah, yeah, totally agreed. How, uh, how big is your team? That's a good question. Um, I think we're at around 13 people right now across both groups, okay. 13, 15, somewhere around there. And then one other thing that is, is top of mind, especially as people start to build out their uh, marketing technology teams or just more as marketing starts working with technology, do you guys handle all of the development? So specifically as it relates to platforms um, that you, I would say that you own for lack of a better term, are you guys managing all of the development and you know, run the business operations or are there any other teams internally that you work with to help with that? Um, no, we pretty much own our, our own platform. So I partner very heavily with data services. Um, you know, and my teams are in, in those Redshift databases on a regular basis, but that's all in-house um, that we've done. 
you know, again, depending on the product, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely partner with like a Lev or, you know, consultants on different platforms to, to do, you know, improvements. Um, mm -hmm. but, but for the most part, we've really felt a lot of value in bringing that, that, that knowledge in-house. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's where most folks find the most amount of value is having, you know, it's, it's great. And obviously we, we love working with folks, but it's most important to have folks internally who can help, you know, run the business or innovate upon whatever that might look like. I also think it's great that you actually have ownership over these platforms, you know, like Salesforce Marketing Cloud or Erlytics or whatever it might be. So that way there's not this jockeying internally of, you know, having to reach out to another team because that can be just as bad as having a third-party consultant, you know, run those different things for you. So it's, it's pretty awesome that you guys have full reign of not only the team internally, but also the platforms that you're interacting with. Yeah, you were very fortunate in that regard. I think um, we made a conscious decision to, to make sure that we owned. Um, you've had a lot of stops and starts using, um, you know, different scenarios where we didn't necessarily own all the data or the platforms. And I, I think we learned our lesson. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I think we've gotten to a good place. Last question, what's your biggest lesson learned from your time in the MarTech ecosystem? I think it's interesting because there's so much overlap in all these tools, right? Like one tool started with email and, and grew out. Another team started with, or another tool may have started with mobile analytics and, and then added on. Um, and, and so really understanding your use case and what you're trying to achieve and going deep on each of the features and functionality. Um, sort of the same as what you know, we, we see with the CDP landscape, you know, three different CDPs, really going deep to understand how do those specific features within each of those tools map to what you're trying to do uh, long-term and then trying to pick the best ones there because there's so much overlap in the space. I think that's the biggest challenge. Yeah, for sure. Everyone's jockeying for, for position. Like you mentioned, um, you know, starting with email, you know, exact target is the, the bread and butter of that, right? Where we start, started with email um, and then kind of branched out into a couple different things. Um, tried the social element, you know, with co-tweet that didn't work out too well, but we won't, we won't uh, opine on that. And then, you know, going into Salesforce and then there's all these uh, different elements. And, and one thing that's always interesting too, especially as we think about Salesforce Marketing Cloud or really any other platform, but what I always find interesting is innovation you find always comes from the outside. And what I mean by that is that like for, I would say over the last 12 months or so, we've really seen Salesforce spend a lot of time, um, effort and money around improving their mobile product. And I think that's a direct correlation to those competitors of Attentive and Braze doing some of these things in a more nimble fashion. And so they're starting to lose some customers to those folks. So it's always interesting how you know, it's, a, it's a huge ecosystem, um, but it's also at the same time, to your point, quite small. You know, it, it could be, and that's kind of how I feel about the CDP market right now. I'm sure over the next you know, 24 to 36 months, we'll see quite a few acquisitions people continuing to innovate and then you know you'll have four or five folks rise to the cream of the crop kind of like what we've seen within marketing automation yeah i think that's exactly right i think the next step beyond that um, that i'm really interested to see is sort of that converges the dmp and cdp space right now you know, today we split that because ad tech is very specific and we need a very specific um, platform for that but you know as lytics and other cdps start to make those connections to the ad tech world you start to see some of that stuff converge that'll be really interesting to see how that goes yeah absolutely it'll it'll be interesting to see too is what happens i i think we all think at this point third-party cookies are going away but how um dmps can 
continue to build on the platforms that they've built to leverage or find new new niches within that that space. Um, and then how do they integrate across? Because some of those things that you mentioned around like the wish list items, like how are um, how folks are engaging across different Fox properties or across devices. Um, I think all of those things will become obviously so much more important um, and something that people have a lot of trouble with right now. I, I think again, in the next 24 to 36 months, we'll see a couple of platforms start to do that really well, where that you know unique ID or persistent ID becomes much easier to manage and much easier to implement. So th thank you again, Kevin, for doing this. We really appreciate it. As always, at the end of our podcast, um, we switch to completely unrelated. Although this isn't really completely unrelated, it's somewhat related. But uh, favorite Fox, so it can include 20th Century Fox, um, entertainment production of all time. So Cole, I'll start with you. Uh, so I, I guess, I don't know if it's just a, a brand recognition thing, but I go to like the, the classics uh, is what I'm thinking about my favorites. And so like, you know, you've got your brave hearts and things like that, but I think mine go to like the family classics, like Mrs. Doubtfire or even like, like holiday ones, especially. Um, uh, and Bobby Paul's is like in the same boat. I'm more of like a home alone miracle on 34th guy. Uh, Bobby's definitely a jingle all the way guy, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's kind of where I go is like, probably like home alone is probably numero uno for me. Home alone stuff to beat. Yeah. That's, that's all time. Yeah. But although they've been like eight other home alones afterwards. So they just came out with a new one this year, but I don't I, think that I, was, I watched it. <laughs> was it 20th century? Um, I, I we'll have to get it. someone from the well, uh, Disney acquired that that backlog, and so it's probably 20th Studios or something, whatever they're calling that. Oh, uh, okay. Not 20th Century, but it's, it's same. They, that's how they uh, they got the intellectual property that way. So, it, it regardless, it fell off from the Macaulay Culkin years. We'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, how about you? Um, Deadpool. Like it's, it's oh, that's gonna be movies. my answer. <laughs> no, uh, it's one of those things where I had to watch it multiple times. Like I watched it probably four times just to get all the jokes because they're so quick and and it's it's witty and it just kind of that kept me really engaged. I have to remember, I don't remember the last I've been that engaged with a movie for a while. So definitely, it's also one. one of the rare occurrences where the sequel was just as good, if not better, than the original. Which I still yep. go back and forth because the first one, you know, when it came out. I don't think anybody really knew what to expect and it was so good. And then for the second one to be just as good, if not, I think it's a little bit better, but it may just be, you know, recency bias, but um, I'll just say Deadpool too, since you took Deadpool. Fair enough. Are, uh, do we have any sway in changing the 20th studios name to 21st studios now? We do not. You can talk to Disney no. about uh, what they want to do on that side. Oh, that's true. So we just got all these all right. product enhancements for you guys and we're not going to scratch our backs now, I guess. So that's, yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I see how it is. It's cool. <laughs> well, Kevin, thank you again. Really appreciate it. As always, everyone, you can reach us at in the clouds at lovedigital.com. Um, Kevin, really appreciate you being on and uh, shout out Doris Fisher. Nice. Thanks for having me on. Hey guys.